0: welcome to episode 91 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. This week, we're doing a quick on-the-counter pre-derby edition as we are once again guestless in Zoom world. But joining me as always, Christian Aparicio, Chris Signs, Gentlemen, good evening. Welcome.
1: Hey, Jonathan. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Chris. As always, I'd like to remind everybody to like, follow, review at LAFCS Swiss on all social media platforms. How are you doing, Chris?
2: What's up, guys? It's derby week, guys. I'm excited. Excited excited and I'm really happy too because the match is an away game and so this doesn't count as one of our potential home matches and we're still going to be able to see you know Hopefully, by the time we actually do have a derby at the bank, it's going to be at a higher capacity where more people can participate. So I'm all for the match being an away mat for the first one of this season.
0: Yeah, and some information to come that was sort of sneakily released by the club in regards to potential expansions to seating within side. Before we get to our recap of last week's match versus Houston, though, we did want to send a shout out to our friends at AIM Athletes in the Making. They've partnered with PodFam Defenders of the Bank in order to auction off some 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 Carlos Vela signed memorabilia. If you want to donate to that charity, you can reach out to Athletes in the Making and buy $10 raffle tickets in order to try and win some of that Carlos Vela memorabilia. So please go out and support them and our friend at Defenders, and let's try and make some money for a good cause in Athletes in the Making. With that being said, gentlemen, why don't we go ahead and dive into our match with Houston?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you were the one that was the man on the scene, man. What was it like? How does Houston host... The District 9 Ultras that had traveled to Houston, what was it like? How was the weather?
0: Well, the weather was terrible. I do not particularly care for the oppressive humidity of the South. And it was balmy, sticky the entire time. You walked outside and instantly just everything clung to you and you felt restrained. It was constantly raining and flash flood warnings, but there wasn't actually too many squalls during the day mostly rained heavily at night while we were there was sort of sporadic rain throughout the day even at the match it rained heavily at halftime but it didn't really rain during either halves which sort of worked out perfectly as well too but it ended up being this odd combination of like sunny and hot but having freshly rained humid so i mean i could only imagine it affected those players instantly because the second they walked out of the locker room onto that pitch, they had to have been sweating. And to be able to run around and do what they were doing in that kind of heat was massive. Stadium was nice. I really liked uh, BBVA Stadium. As a thank you for our tribute to Mauricio Facio, rest in peace, amigo. Jaime Camille invited me into the owner's suite for this game uh so wow. jaime's father
1: yeah
0: is really good friends apparently with the owner of the houston dynamo and so jaime was able to leverage some connects to get us inside the owner's box with a private chef and tons of different food and an open bar and tons of really fancy tequila and uh we had a blast um i have to say it may have distracted me slightly from the contents of the game which we did watch but uh uh, watching it side by side with Jaime Camille with a belly full of tequila was uh, was a really fun experience. Stadium was pretty nice, albeit very limited capacity for this game. But there wasn't a whole lot in the way of atmosphere for the game. You could definitely hear the 32 52 the whole night. The, you know, I think about 75, 80 or so that showed up were making noise the whole time. And they were just as loud, if not louder, throughout the entire game as the supporters section for Houston. So that was wonderful to see. There was even a couple times in which you could audibly hear throughout the entire stadium, the 3252 chanting, we can't hear you, we can't hear you. At times in which Houston just like obviously stopped to take breaks. I guess that's kind of, they don't do the full 90 plus over there. So it was funny that the 3252 picked up on that. But it was a nice stadium, all in all, downtown, pretty closely located to everything. So it's pretty easy to get in and out of. Their fans are maybe less than hospitable towards us LAFC fans, but that was somewhat to be expected. So everyone was kind of traveling in groups and being safe. And, you know, thankfully, barring a few people jawing back and forth at each other, there was no incidents. So uh, all in all, you know, good performance in the stands from the thirty-two fifty-two, and a great experience around the ballpark. Kind of more curious to hear your guys' thoughts about the match itself. So looking at the lineup prior to going into the game. We see that Vela is out, but Rossi is back. Uh, Chris, sort of curious, what was you thinking of this Vela extended injury?
2: It was kind of more of what the story was at last season when we didn't have him in the MLS's back tournament, and then we didn't have him during the injury after the uh, MLS's back tournament was done. So, I mean, we've seen our team perform at a high level without Carlos in the lineup, so that's not as much of a concern in terms of us being able to put up points and walk away with victories. So initially I wasn't really worried about it, but as the game progressed, I just feel like there is a lack of chemistry or people's ideas are just not there. People are not on the same path. And it's clear that there are good potential moves to be made, but an errant pass Or a nice pass, but nobody is in the zone because nobody made the run. It just seems like this team is trying to rebuild some of the chemistry that could be having to do with players that are in and being replaced. Or I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is, but it doesn't seem like we are as smooth of a machine as we have
0: been in the past. Christian, obviously from a tactical sense, what do you think that means going into the game? And what did you think of Chris's assessment?
1: I think yeah, he brought up some really good points. I think there is a chemistry issue, or maybe it's it's lacking of playing time in real game situations together with Corey Baird and Opoku. I think our midfield three is so used to having Rossi and Vela and their types of runs, how they like to receive the ball, where they like to receive it, the types of runs that they make. And at times, last year it was with Rayito or some of the other uh, central strikers that we had. But that's all changed, right? And this was Rossi's first game back, too. So he wasn't necessarily sharp. He had the one dangerous run that he made, and he just reached it, and it was a brilliant save by the Houston keeper. But other than that, that play and the goal, it was just like we were dominating the midfield on different occasions, and then we were getting to their final third, and the pass was either lacking because we just didn't understand the one that was going to be made, or there was an assumption made of where the, the expectation of where the run should be made. And that person didn't make the run. So I think those are struggles, but I think this is a good thing, right? I think back to 2019 where we dominated and our starting 11 played over 90% of the games and it led to exhaustion and some injuries basically got the playoff. So, you know, saving Rossi for the first two games, Vela hasn't played really first three games all that much. I think that's a good thing so that we have a Poku ready to step in when he needs to. Corey Baird is going to get more continuity, and he scored again. I think getting his confidence up while our two stars are still trying to figure out their playing time is a really good thing to get his confidence up, like I said, and uh, make sure that uh, he contributes and can feel like he can put some weight on the shoulder when Rossi and Vela are not performing.
0: All right, so I got a couple questions for you guys. Do you think that was a foul on a Twesta? Going into the goal that they scored in the 57th minute on that 50-50 ball midfield with, I think, Corona, it was.
1: I think it was far fun, no? You know what? I don't know. I will say the referee was very inconsistent on when he was letting things go. And that was both players going in for a slide. And I feel like it's a questionable call. If he called it, I don't think anyone really bats an eye. He doesn't call it. LAFC fans are probably going to say it's a foul. Right. What I didn't like is the reaction to it, and I think that's you know what you're leading into is we paused for a second, didn't react to the next pass that came from that play, and they caught us flat-footed for a split second. I think our defense did superbly well in that game, except for that one play. We got cut off guard. There was a run made between Segura and chiki and no one tracked that winger and put it away in the box.
0: Well, it took a heck of a dime, too. Coming in from, um, was that Fafa Pico, I think? Yeah, Fafa uh, Pico. Assist. Mm-hmm. A heck of a cross coming in. But you can't fall asleep right after a foul like that. And if ever there is a team with a player who specializes in taking advantage of people falling asleep on that one play in the game, it's going to be Carson next week with Chicharito. So, I mean, as we begin to preview the Derby in just a few minutes, thinking about mistakes like that, where you turn off for a minute and you let them get behind you, and they have a poacher up front who puts it home. I mean, that's exactly what we have to worry about next week. So maybe this is a blessing in disguise and that we get it out of our system and gets us a chance to focus on it in training this week, and it's something we're a little better prepared for next week. Who knows? Some interesting stats throughout the game. LAFC actually had 61% of the possession. We outpassed them by almost 200 passes, and yet they managed more shots than us. So there was a lot of movement, but it wasn't going anywhere. And I think that is the sentiment that most people around me had throughout the course of the game is that Houston's style of crowding the midfield, shutting down the game, which was a little boring, perhaps for some people that, that don't like that style of football, that are looking for more, you know, long passes, end to end movement, lots of chances and opportunity style of football. I mean, it wasn't that kind of game so I think it was pretty frustrating for people who like possession football, who like to see clear, clean ball movement throughout the pitch. We just weren't getting that. It was a lot of passes backwards, inability to really break anyone through. I don't know how much of that you can chalk up to tactics and how much you could chalk up to simply the lineup that was available on that day. But with Vela out, we still had a pretty good team. We fielded. There was the majority of our starters in there. Obviously, putting in the front line that we put together, we still think that there is potential there. So I, I thought, you know, despite the fact that we had all the possession and all the passing, we really just didn't create much from it. And that final pass just wasn't there. Once again, the corners were not great. When Bryce Duke came in, I have to say, you know, Christian, I think you pointed it out a couple shows ago. And I was really looking for it in this game. Bryce Duke's corners were much better. He had a few that were served in the box. But, you know, Atuesta had an amazing free kick goal last week. And then he had some rough free kick appearances in this game versus Houston. Maybe that's humidity, rain, wet ball. Who knows? But we just couldn't seem to get a solid shot or pass together in the final third. And that was really frustrating for us in the stands.
1: I agree. We had all the possession, but there was no final dangerous pass at all. And then we didn't have Rossi in in form where you can give him the ball and he can create a play and Vela wasn't there. So it doesn't surprise me that from a shot perspective LAFC was under. And for them, they were creating some opportunities on turnovers when they were pressing us and trying to strike quickly. So you know, kudos to them on sticking to a game plan. Wasn't necessarily always dangerous. And I give kudos to our defense because of that. And I will say again, Cisniega. Had some good saves this game. I think he's really stepping it up. And I'm happy to see that not having the keeper position in question has given him more confidence. And he's actually performing a lot better than he did last year.
0: Westa as well, he was sensational. I mean, I know it didn't ultimately result in a goal. But, you know, there in the 11th, 12th minute, when he has that quick cut turn, shoots that through ball forward to Rossi, who, you know, almost, almost gets it past the keeper. He had two guys who had beat their man on the far side if he'd have played the ball over too, but you can't fault a shooter for shooting, especially when he came that close to putting it in. That was an incredible through ball from a Twesta. I think he was the one who provided the service to Kay who went to blessing, who went over to Baird was the ball was sort of you know, four passes inside the box to score our goal, something that's becoming decidedly an LAFC-style goal. You know, it's us to just put his foot all over this game. But, you know, other than that, I think I was joking with Jaime Camille after the game that the loudest thing on the pitch that day were Tab Ramos's shoes, which when he changed from a suit into some casual sweatpants at halftime, he came out with these bright white and fluorescent blue and pink shoes on, which were uh, getting him a bit of a razzing from the stands. Hilarious. That's funny.
1: <laughs> last thing I'll mention on the Houston side, you know, I thought they had the opportunity to bring someone like Christian Ramirez earlier on, a true central striker, and I thought that he would have been a little bit more dangerous than some of the subs that they made. And I think they gave him like garbage time a few minutes after the 90th minute, which sucks for him. He had some good moments at LAFC and some potential in Minnesota United before that. I think maybe he needs to move on from Houston and get a more regular playing time somewhere else. Cause he does have some talent at least more than getting garbage time at the 90th minute. So unfortunate for him, but you know, good to see at least a former LAFC player get a few minutes One we're playing against them and I'm glad that they didn't win.
0: Well, I think we can kind of safely put that game behind us. It was a memorable experience, but a forgettable game. I think is probably the best way to describe it. For me personally, I would say from the outside looking in, it's one of those games that, you know, you just wash off like the stick and stank of that Houston humidity and you move on to the next one. And the next one is massive. But before we get into discussing our game against Carson coming up on the weekend, a couple bit of news and notes around the league here. So first and foremost, good old friend Kenneth Vermeer has found himself a job back in the MLS. Looks like he may be the starting keeper for FC Cincinnati, which is something that I find absolutely amusing because the one thing we really knew that Kenneth Vermeer specialized in and perhaps his best forte while he was with us at LAFC was his ability to stop penalty kicks and given the way FC Cincinnati's defense is playing that might be exactly what he's facing many times throughout the course of the game albeit maybe not from the spot but from open play but in similar fashion so I can see why they would go for a player of his ilk I also think there's a connection between the coach at FC Cincinnati and Kenneth Vermeer used to play together for Ajax. So interesting to see Vermeer. Are you guys rooting for him at FC Cincinnati? I mean, they can't really go much further down.
2: You know, I think that it's always good to see people that have played for LAFC move on and do do well. One, because they are people that were part of our history. And, you know, I like to see them go on and just still have good opportunities throughout their careers. And, you know, because it doesn't work out here, that doesn't mean, you know, while he was here, Kenneth Vermeer was definitely someone who was very nice, you know, with the media. And he was definitely someone that was not a disturbance or a disruptance in the locker room. And so because we didn't like how he performed on the pitch as much as we were hoping, that doesn't mean that we should wish him ill will at any of his next clubs that he plays for and you know FC Cincinnati is a club that's struggling right now and if he can help them bring some pride to that city I wish him the best
1: I do wish he doesn't do well if we ever play him but other than that good for him finding a job and yeah he played with the job I think that's the the right pronunciation don't speak Dutch but good for, for Kenneth at least he doesn't have to pack up and go all the way back to Holland and he could stay in the States a little bit longer The other interesting thing, I would say Jonathan potentially stopping penalty kicks or shots from close range because the defense is not good. His style of play is distributing the ball and playing passing football. That's not something I identify Cincinnati with. So it's an interesting dynamic that'll be there. But maybe the job some is one of his goals is to, to incorporate some of those things and some of those ideas. So hopefully Vermeer can help change the culture there from the goalkeeper on.
0: I think it's an injury knee-jerk move FC Cincinnati needed to bring in somebody to replace an opening. There's a connection. He knows the league. I don't know if it's Vermeer's first choice given the way he mutually parted ways with LAFC. I don't think you mutually part ways with LAFC to go join FC Cincinnati. So I think this is something that came about sort of last minute as a result of a friendship and some needs for FC Cincinnati, but good for him.
2: You know, it could also be the fact that he's just looking for an opportunity to be the starter somewhere. And he probably feels like he should be the starter here. And if he goes, let's say he goes to FC Cincinnati and he like dominates, that's probably going to be a feather in his cap to think, oh, see, I'm showing LAFC that they let me go too early, too soon, gave up on me type of thing. And I'm showing the league that I'm still a dominant keeper.
0: Good for him. I hope he performs well. I'm not rooting against the guy. I don't think. You put Manuel Noya in the back of FC Cincinnati. I don't think it's changing their fate. So we'll see. In other news, LAFC have announced a new partnership with Jacob Amrani, a multi year partnership with the law offices of Jacob Amrani, or more commonly known as Call Jacob. Uh, to serve as the official law firm partner of the black and gold. So a a very interesting development. Obviously, Jacob Amrani, probably the most recognizable sports fan in the greater Southland area for his participation with a lot of different teams. He came out and stated that this is an exciting day, that he loves soccer, and he self-proclaims himself as Los Angeles' number one sports fan. Says he's thrilled to be a partner. He mentioned that he coaches all of his son's soccer teams and is really proud of what LAFC has done is not only a professional level, but at the grassroots level with youth soccer as well too. So clearly someone who has at least been paying attention to what's going on in the soccer landscape at a youth level, if he's coaching multiple levels of teams, and we know his investment and involvement in professional teams throughout the city. For those of you who are unaware the law offices of Jacob Amrani are celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. The firm has recovered more than $500 million in personal injury and car accident victim allotments. Their firm is dedicated to obtaining fair compensation and holding those at fault responsible for taking on insurance companies. You can reach them at www.calljacob.com. Please sponsor the pod. Sponsor the pod. I'm going to give you a shameless plug here. Oh, wow. <laughs> all, all, all joking <laughs> Uh, I think, you know, look, it's a sign that we're attracting the same kind of attention that, you know, Teams like the Lakers and, and the like have from people like Jacob and, and It's to be expected. The better LAFC does, the more eyes are going to be on it. The more people like this are going to float around and money in for the club. And, and if he uh, you know helps defend some people around here, that's, that's fantastic. One final last bit of news and notes before we get into Derby talk, before we start talking about some other signings for Las Vegas as well, too. We have a vaccinating drive happening at the bank. So LAFC is partnering with the Department of Public Health to once again provide vaccines for the public. This is happening this Friday the 7th and Saturday the 8th. It's happening at Bank of California Stadium from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Anyone who shows up and gets vaccinated will receive 20% off all merchandise at LAFC HQ. Now, this is a fantastic announcement. Really proud of the team for not only providing a location and vaccines to the public, but also incentivizing that through a discount. And in the course of this entire press release, I was very proud of LAFC for their commitment to this. But from a team standpoint, there was one phrase in this press release that really stood out to me. And I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but in their statement about vaccinated fans receiving a discount, LAFC noted that these fans who get vaccinated will then have the ability to sit in, quote, soon-to-be-expanded vaccinated-only sections at Bank of California Stadium for upcoming matches. So snuck into a press release from the team about these vaccinations and offering a discount, uh, some very noble work, is this statement that they are expanding the vaccinated sections at the bank. I think we all speculated that this was going to happen. How big the vaccinated bubble grows to is going to be fascinating to see, especially if it ends up enveloping the whole stadium and it becomes a vaccinated only environment or if we have to hit certain thresholds of you know 70 75 80% before the entire stadium can be opened up fully i just thought that that little tidbit stood out to me and fascinated to hear your thoughts
2: well so i think that having a vaccinated section is going to be great for the fans that want to come and are willing to not sit socially distanced and be able to watch the match where I have concerns on where there could be issues is say a family, right? A family of four you know, I have my vaccination, my wife may have her vaccination, but my kids may not have, be vaccinated, but they're older than the minimum age to not need a vaccination. And then you have to provide a negative test, I think, within a certain amount of days. And it just it could just run into issues. Or let's say you have six tickets or eight tickets or whatever. And you want to go with your friends and your friends are people that may or may not have their vaccinations. Like it, it, it could, it just gets, it's gonna kind of get into very hard to make it as exactly the way you want. And it, I just can see people that are not gonna be happy even with having the opportunity to have more people in the stands.
1: I think it's a solution for some people in some situations, right? This is not gonna be perfect for a long time, it feels like at least. And I agree with you. I mean, if you have children, there's still that apprehension, but those that are kind of, Younger people or people without kids, they have the opportunity to have an incentive if there are or is hesitancy to have the vaccination, to be able to do this, get a discount and potentially qualify to be able to sit in a particular section. For the rest of us, for me that we have a child, it's not going to be something that's in the cards for us. But you know, when it is our turn to be able to attend a game, I am looking forward to having some of these people that are in that section and being extra loud and adding to the atmosphere right? And you have to be patient. I think one of the takeaways in the last year, at least for me, has been that that's one of the things that needs to happen as a person in regular life or in a stadium. I'm happy that there's opportunities being given to the community to be able to incentivize or, you know, maybe encourage vaccinations and also making it accessible, easy and providing discounts and the opportunity to enjoy a game with other people that prefer to be together.
0: Absolutely. it just, Interesting that the club sort of dropped that hint in a different form, but it's clearly been stated the vaccinated sections are going to grow in size, and we'll see exactly where that goes. A slew of announcements involving Las Vegas Lights. They released uh, a kid sponsor. They announced that Danny Trejo had officially signed with them. I think this is something we sort of all saw coming, especially once it looked like Barrett Mazovsky and Opoku were all going to be healthy enough to play going forward. There wasn't room or space for him to get minutes. So he heads over to Las Vegas, still training at the same training facility. It's just game days that they'll be shipping out to Vegas. Oh, except for this week, -week, midweek, which will probably that game will probably already have been played by the time this pod comes out. But tomorrow at the time of recording, as it is, may the fourth be with you as we are recording. So tomorrow, Las Vegas is going to be playing Galaxy 2 down in Carson. So interesting to see if any LAFC fans show up to support the lights and whether or not any of our LAFC players are going to be in the starting lineup that day. Interesting to see. I looked and I didn't
2: see tickets for sale for this match. So I'm not sure if they're selling tickets for anybody to go to.
0: Might be closed door still. Yeah. That's funny how supporters find a way to get down and near a stadium to do supporter-like things, even when stadiums might not be open. I still wouldn't be surprised if there was a cross section of fans that showed up. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, and uh, Flex Power Tools also signed on as a sponsor for Las Vegas as well, too. So clearly their partnership with LAFC is going to extend to our affiliate teams as well, too. So that takes us on to everyone's favorite subject. Chris, I think I'll let you kick this one off. Can you update us on Dun, 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 Rodriguez watch.
2: So we have Brian Rodriguez watch. And I uh, was hoping that the change in managers would lead to more time for Brian Rodriguez. And that is not the case. So Almedia on their last match had a 2-2 draw. And Brian Rodriguez had a whopping three minutes of playing time. But Almedia still sits in third place with one point ahead of the fourth place team. So they're still in the promotional spot. Playoff spot. But oh, yeah. it is? It's a yeah. play-in? Oh, yeah, it's, wow. a, it's three versus six, four versus five. I don't know. I was hoping that this was an opportunity for Brian to showcase and be able to impress more. But, I mean, they have a game on Friday, this upcoming Friday. So we'll see. Maybe... Brian will get the start this upcoming Friday.
0: Garbage time minutes. He's clearly not fitting into the squad there. Who knows what that says about the player and his ability. I just don't think he fits into their football ideas or at least hasn't integrated himself into that yet. And that's why he's not seeing minutes. Who knows what their plan is with him. Maybe they still have long-term ideas with him. This could be a player that they're just trying to see him get acquainted to the team this year. If they're really going to incorporate him fully down the road, you know, who knows, but It is a bummer to continue to see him have a handful of minutes and no real impact on a game. So with that, I think we're ready to go ahead and dive into the Derby. I think the only other bit of news is that L.A. was announced today that it is progressing into the yellow tier, which means the stadium could go up to 66% capacity, which I think is about twice what we have had at the moment, which was like somewhere between 28 and 32 percent capacity. So this would put us to about double whether or not we're going to be able to do that for the next home game, whether that's logistically accomplishable or not. Who knows? Poor Robbie's going to have to run around and cut all the zip ties off the seats and rearrange them to make 66 percent capacity. Uh, But I'm sure selling twice as many tickets would make them happy to do so.
2: Yeah, I think the club was still operating at the 25 percent Capacity because 22,000 seats, 25% of that is just a, a little bit over 5,000. And so I don't even think we were doing a third of the stadium because that was. Yeah, I think it,
0: it fell somewhere between 27 and 32% after operational staff. Mm. I think is what it ended up coming down to I forget the exact. Number. Hard.
2: It's just hard to believe that we had more than 7,000 people in that stadium. I don't know. It just seems so much more empty, but uh, yeah, I, it would be nice. Especially I wonder what the protocol is with vaccinated people in the yellow tier, like vaccinated sections. Cause if we had had vaccinated sections under the purple tier, there was a certain number of attendance allowed So now with this yellow tier and having vaccinated sections, it could actually be more than the 66%.
0: It was my understanding, and maybe this was just within the 3252, but I think there were more spaces in the vaccinated section than we had people at the time of that game that had been two weeks clear of their second vaccination. Obviously, those numbers are happily growing at fantastic rates. So I think the demand for vaccinated section tickets is going to increase as the cross-section of the community that gets vaccinated increases as well, too. All the more reason for people to show up to vaccine at the bank Uh, again Friday, Saturday, 9 to 3. Go get your shots. Get more of us in the bank. It's better when we're there. That's for sure. Speaking of being there, we have a game this weekend, boys. Uh, It may or may not be a slightly large game. It is a game that by no other name should be referred to as anything but classico angelino and i think we have all arrived that classico angelino is the name for this and from this point henceforth we decree that no other name shall be used nor recognized by this show are we in agreement gentlemen
2: here here i i second i second that vote i third that motion
0: Fantastic. So as we go into the Classico Angelino, we know that the friendly folks down in Carson have not allocated an away section for fans today. So they were kindly asking LAFC fans not to show. The prices of the tickets have certainly convinced a lot of people not to head down there as well. But once again, I would not be surprised if supporters do supporter things and uh, they bear the prices of some of those tickets to find their way in. I certainly would not be surprised to see a healthy spattering of black and gold throughout the stands this weekend. Hopefully, all of those people have a fun time and a safe time, and nobody has any incidents while we're down there. Would love to see everyone go down there, make some noise, and and it be without incident. But what do you guys think about crazy, insane tickets? Uh, I have to work that morning, so I can't head down to the bay, to the, oh, no, I'm sorry, to the digs, to Dignity Health Sports Park. Are either of you gonna brave the prices of tickets and head down there, or is it watching from the couch for you boys?
2: I would. I don't have an issue paying the outrageous prices because how you know you only get so many of these matches every year. But no, alas, I have uh, t-ball games back to back on Saturday, and I also have some homework I have to do. So, needless to say, I will not be there. And uh, oh,
0: t-ball! What position do you play? You got two games? Yes.
2: I play I play uh, the put the ball on the tee guy, and I'm also the uh, third base coach. <laughs> no, it's uh ball for three-year-olds and
0: six-year-olds. It's all
2: right. It's, I mean, it's good.
0: A lot of free swinging, a lot of bat flips, unintentional bat flips, though.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The worst of it, though, so Ben is going to be four in August. He still takes snaps. So his games, he's had a couple of games at 12, which is right at nap time. So we've had meltdowns in the middle of the game. And I'm the manager for the team. So it got to be so bad that I literally had to tell Sandy. I was like, hey, I need you to take Ben, get him off the field. Just take him home, put him to bed. I got it. Like, I got a coach. I got to manage. So I ended up staying there managing a game where my son wasn't even in. And then even funnier story, not really all that funny. It's actually kind of scary. I gave my son Gabriel I was like, hey, dude, look, your mom's gone now. She took your brother home. Here, take my phone and just, you know, play, play a game for the last 15 minutes of the game. So then, you know, just entertain yourself. I come back and get my phone 15 minutes later. There's three games downloaded on my phone. To download things on my phone, you have to put in a crazy cryptic password. No way he knows that. My phone allowed my son facial recognition to download games on my phone. That's how much alike my son and I look like.
0: You'd think the beard would be a dead giveaway. Somebody's got to update that phone technology.
2: Well, you know what? I, I have to shave sometimes for work to put on my uh, a respirator.
0: And so I think my phone just has a picture of me without a beard. That's absolutely hilarious. Um, well, sorry to digress down the fun stories of T-Ball there for a moment because we do have a game we want to highlight here, but it's adorable. And uh, I, I didn't mean to make fun of you. So, um,
1: Jonathan, to answer your question, no, I will not be going to Carson.
0: Oh, yeah, I totally forgot what question we'd ask. Sorry, we've we've gone. Wow. All right. So far um, through the looking glass. I just lost it.
1: No worries. No, I I won't be able to make the game. Um, Too expensive. Uh, We have the little one, and I'd like for us to go to one of those games together. And uh, it's still too young, and I'd rather not do all that. But I will be watching on the couch, uh, you know, 5 p.m. I think it's on Big Fox Pacific Time. So looking forward to to making sure nothing is bothering me during that time. I think mom's on diaper duty at the very minimum.
0: All right, so let's rattle off the tail of the tape. Uh, Each one of us can kind of rotate through some of these comparisons between LAFC and Carson at the moment. So I'll go ahead and kick us off with the win-loss record. So the Galaxy entered this weekend with two wins, one loss. They are currently ranked fifth in the West and seventh overall. LAFC, of course, one win, no losses, two draws. They are currently one space behind them at sixth in the waist and three spaces behind them at 10th overall.
1: I think the Galaxy have played not so strong competition. They played in Seattle this last weekend, and you see what happened there. And for LAFC, we've had some tough games, and we were able to pull out a draw at home with no real forwards against Seattle and went away with a less than sharp, Rossi and Houston pulled a draw there. Adverse conditions from a field and weather perspective. So I don't think so early on the standings really reflect the two teams.
2: I think that uh, it's evident that LA FC has been playing strong football. You look at who we've been playing. Austin has definitely gone on. And played well in their last two matches and you look at Seattle and Seattle has gone on and played well in all three of their matches and you know you look at us having a game against Houston and it's not like we played well but it's not like we played terrible. When you look at the Galaxy, you see that they've had high scoring affairs. The New York Red Bulls were able to score two. The I can't even remember who they played the first week of the season, but they were able to score like two or three. And now you look at what Seattle did against them. It shows that they have a weak defense, that they do let in a decent amount of goals every game. And uh, I think that that is something that we will be able to exploit.
0: So speaking of a ranking standpoint, The power rankings are the next statistic we wanted to go through. And this to me is absolutely wild. We touched on it last week, but currently at the moment, Carson are ranked by the Major League Soccer as 12th. However, ESPN has them ranked third for LAFC. The MLS has us ranked third. Again, MLS ranked Carson 12th, ESPN ranked Carson third. LAFC ranked by MLS as third and by ESPN as fifth. So according to ESPN, Carson are two teams better than us in the power rankings. And according to the major league soccer, Carson are nine teams worse than us in the power rankings. What do you guys make of that disparity?
2: I think that it has like how Christian had, we had talked about this last week. I think Christian made a good point where he said that it's based off of certain statistics It could be goals scored but it it doesn't take into account full bodies of work it doesn't take into the ESPN ones the ESPN ones don't take into account full body of work how they're playing it just kind of looks at like a stat line and you know the Galaxy scored this many goals and Chicharito had scored uh five goals in two matches and, and you know uh the Galaxy are dominant and it's like you know you're not really looking at all aspects of that match
1: tech spend on that espn just goes off of the results
2: basically is what i'm
1: noticing after three weeks right so the galaxy's had two good results two wins uh, and a loss lafc's had three good games only one win in, the, in those three games so that's what's being calculated and giving the power rankings from an espn perspective i feel like MLS, the staff there, the pod, the writers, they actually watch the matches. And that's what's being attributed to what their power rankings are. The results, I think, are going to shake out over the course of the season. And I think there's a little bit of a projection also that goes into their power rankings. So, um, which is why I respect the MLS rankings a little bit more, more credence to them. I think LAFC being third, it might still be a little generous uh, with some of the teams performing well. But I think LAFC is definitely between third, and fifth uh, from a power rankings perspective at this point of the season, in my opinion.
0: So let's dive a little deeper into some of these numbers here. So first, let's just simply look at games are won with goals. Goals change games, right? So currently, Carson have scored six goals on the season, five by Chicharito. However, they've given up seven goals against them, so they actually have a negative one goal differential on the season. LAFC, by contrast, having scored four goals this season... However, have only given up two goals this season and still, as of yet, at no point in time in the entire 2021 season, have LAFC trailed at any point in any match. So even though Carson has another win, assuredly, than us, their goal differential does not paint a great picture, uh, certainly by comparison to LAFC. I
1: think the issues are still there for the Galaxy. Defensively, they're still very leaky at the back they almost need all-star type performances from Chicharito and able to be in games and potentially have a chance to win games. That's that's the difference. LAFC, I think this is one of the better defensive starts that they've had. And if you project that out, I can see them being one of the better defensive teams overall, right? With Rossi still not being in, in game form and Novella, that's why you're not seeing any explosive offense where we're just blowing out teams. I think if we had... Inform Vela and Rossi, and in, in all three of these matches, we'd be winning by two, three goals with the type of defensive performances. So, I think that's the difference, and that's what makes me optimistic about this weekend game.
0: All right. So, next thing we'd like to take a look at is shots. So, can't score goals if you ain't shooting. Galaxy, right now on the season, have put 18 shots together, 12 of which on goal. LAFC have put 32 shots together. That's about 45% more and likewise have 17 of those on goal. Additionally, a significantly higher percentage there in both shots created and shots on goal.
2: I, 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 again, I think that it's just different right? LAFC has a strong, cohesive unit that have been playing together. And even though we talked about how they're trying to find that consistency with some of our new pieces that we're putting into our starting 11 and how we haven't had Diego and we haven't had Carlos. I mean, I think that especially everybody here on this show, we all think and believe that LAFC is a better team than the Galaxy. It's one of those things where I don't understand why you know ESPN is ranking the Galaxy so high and I, I mean, honestly, you look at every single one of these stat lines and the ones we're about to talk about, and there's not very many of them that the Galaxy are better at. And it, it just is it's just one of those things. And, I, you know, it's also disappointing in the sense that, you know, if Chicharito has turned his play around and it's now going to be a competitive match, it's still not going to be the match that we have been waiting a whole year for because Carlos isn't playing. Or he potentially isn't going to play this upcoming week. We don't know yet. But it's it's just, I want to see the Galaxy be better. There's just so many holes in this game that I just, I feel like LAFC is going to come in and dominate.
1: Jonathan, to answer your question about shots, what, what jumps out to me is that with LAFC having 32 shots, and only 17 on frame, is the strikers aren't there, right? They've been injured. So there's been a lot of outside shots, lower percentage shots taken. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're not cohesive offensively. And we know that the Galaxy have had a little bit better offense. That's all this is really telling me in terms of takeaway. Offensively, the Galaxy have had or created better opportunities and have found ways to create opportunities for themselves in a better way than LAFC at this point. I just think defensively, is going back to what I said previously, they're not there yet.
0: The one thing that I think is curious about this is that every single one of Carson's goals – have been scored from shots taken inside the box. Where at the moment, LAFC's goals are equally split between in and outside the box with another 50% ratio against those two of free kick goals. So we're definitely spreading our offense around at the moment. Again, I think because we're missing those key pieces, but it's also clearly an offense that's more dynamic. And it's quite obvious when you look at what Carson is bringing to the table that they are once again a one-trick pony. You know, they've scored six goals on the season, five of them by Chicharito. I think legit's the only one who's got the other one. But in all due respect, let's give them their credit. There are some areas where they do lead statistically. So, so that'll lead us on to the passing statistics, something that I think all of us found woefully frustrating, more so in this Houston game than in the game previous, but it was certainly something we harped on before. Currently on the year, Carson is passing at 84.4%. They've completed 1,262 of 1,495 attempted passes. LAFC, by comparison, have completed only 78.7% of their shots and coming in at 1,074 completed passes of 1,364 attempted. So... 1,200 for 1,500, basically 1,250 for 1,500 for Carson, and basically 1,050 at a 1,350 for LAFC. So Carson have attempted roughly 150 more passes, and they've completed roughly 200 more passes on the season. Now, whether or not that speaks to them having played poor competition twice and us having played... Well, really only poor competition once, so to speak, is certainly Austin have been proving themselves to be a much better team than people thought an expansion side would be. How much of that is a byproduct of the opponent? Who knows? But we give Carson their credit. They are outpassing LAFC at the moment by about 6%. I
2: think that it all depends how much space is the opponent giving you, you know, where are the lanes that you're creating these passes from? And ultimately, I think that both teams are having an efficient passing rate, and that's Good. You want to see that in football. You know, something I want to actually talk about really fast that you just had reminded me when you brought his name up. I want to know why Sebastian lejet only got a two game suspension for uh, his uh, phraseology that he decided to post on and uh, other players in the league have gotten harsher punishments. And I want to know why nobody's talking about this.
0: I think those are two questions I would love to have answered myself.
1: Because uh, He's with Becky G, dude, obviously. Nobody knows
2: that. You go on social media, you say the the P, not chant, but the P word, right, to a player on your team. And all he gets is a two-game suspension for it. And, and it's just, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on here, especially because nobody's even talking about it. It was just swept under the rug. He got his two-game suspension, and then that's it.
1: It's not like the Galaxy gets preferential treatment. It's not like he's a U.S. men's national team player. It's not like, you know, none of those things matter, right? So if they're going to be strict about something, this was an opportunity to take a stand with a more prominent comparison to most players in the league, and they didn't do it. So I don't foresee them taking stronger stands. And if they do, there is hypocrisy, like you said. So hopefully... It's just know.
2: hard for the league to, on one hand, say, hey, we need to get rid of derogatory phrases and P chants and stuff like that. Then when you have a player who is a prominent player in the league, and it's like a slap on the wrist. I don't understand. Like People get kicked out of stadiums for saying it one time. But a player who is supposed to represent the league says it and blasts it all over social media, which by the way, his social media is huge, right? He has a huge social
0: media following and all he gets. And he, he posted it on social media. It's right. not like somebody caught a, a candid video of him saying it, you know, which would still be reprehensible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing the behavior if it was unintentional, but that would still be wrong, but he posted this himself.
2: Yeah. It, I don't know. It just, there's so many things about this where you're just like, wow, that. I don't know. It just... It 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 irritates me. It irritates me.
1: You think it's because the classic is coming up that coincidentally he only gets two games where he can play in this match, right? As if he was that important, but you know,
2: something to think about. Oh, you're saying that they were like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's give him a two-game ban because if we give him a three-game ban, he's going to miss the Derby. I
1: mean, conspiracy theory starts somewhere, right?
2: I don't know. I just... Like, what was, what was the reason that the Galaxy player was let go of the team last year during the riots? It was the, some,
1: something similar. It was sensitive. something to do
2: with his wife, right? His wife like, His wife made a post on yeah. social media, and that was enough for the Galaxy to cut ties with that player. I mean, I, I, I don't remember the context of the post. It could have been way more egregious. You know, I don't know. But it just... If on one hand, the club takes a stand and, and has a zero tolerance policy, you know, and the other thing too was like, what, wasn't there an issue too with the galaxy Two when they played the San Diego loyal and then the San Diego loyal ended up like, uh, Walking protesting the, the second half yeah. and they walked off and then they ended up losing their playoff opportunity because they ended up having to forfeit the match or whatever. And it's, there's just so incon There's so many inconsistencies when it comes to that organization.
1: So no, you're saying that they're consistently doing something. That's what you're saying.
2: Well, I don't know, because like I said, they, they totally got yeah. rid of a player, right? So on that's that's one end of the spectrum. You totally cut ties with a player. And then there's another end of the spectrum where you allow a player who is an even more important player, somebody who you should expect to be held at a higher level and be acting in a certain manner, that player gets away with a two-game suspension I don't know.
0: It just, like I said,
2: it's just It's, it's
0: unsettling. It's unsettling. I completely agree. <clears throat> what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, statistics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, we'll kind of roll through some of these final statistics here and just lump them all together for you guys because in the rest of these statistical categories, the teams are pretty evenly matched up. Tackles, uh, Galaxy are winning 52.3% of those. LAFC are at a dead 50%. That's really negligible, 2.3% at this point. Duels in the air, uh, Carson are winning those 46% of the time, LAFC 49.7. Uh, it's an area we've definitely improved in with the addition of Mario. but again, not much of a difference between either of those scores. And then in aerial duels, one, 52.2% for Carson, 51% for LAFC. Again, all three of those statistics really basically identical for both teams. Not much of a negligible difference there. I do think it speaks to the fact that LAFC are tackling at a poorer rate this year than they were last year and that LAFC have improved both aerial and one-on-one dueling from last year. So I think that speaks kind of to a bit of our defense, picking it up a little bit, but you know, a lot of those tackles being made by forwards, maybe not so much.
1: I agree, Jonathan. So um, I I think uh, whoever's hungry on the day, I think these stats are going to be thrown out the window because there's a derby and they're pretty, basically close to 50-50 on a lot of these. So looking forward to that midfield battle and seeing what, what's going to happen in this match from an aerial duel perspective, especially being able to defend that and hopefully capitalizing on Murillo, Mark anthony K, and Segura's size to be able to attack the ball and hopefully get a, a set piece because it seems like free kicks and set pieces are going to be some of the ways that we can hopefully generate some offense with our strikers not being at 100%.
0: Any final thoughts before we get into our game predictions here versus Carson? Do you have any predictions on any big earth shattering who will play, who will won't play? Any other big thoughts on Carson or LAFC prior to naming a prediction for us?
1: I do think that Vela is gonna play maybe 15 to 25 minutes. So prediction. I think that Rossi is gonna score and I think Murillo is gonna score and my score line for this game is going to be 2-1. It's possible Chicharito scores, but it might be some unknown or not frequent goal scorer. I think you note that Clashton was one of those that scored apart from Chicharito. So I think it's going to be something to that effect where there's some sort of second ball rebound and someone just strikes it from just inside the box or outside.
0: All right, so my final prediction for this match will echo my prediction for every single match, unquestionably, LAFC 10, Carson no. Uh, Hat tricks for Vela hat tricks for Rossi. I'll throw a hat trick in there for a Twesta and I'll give Corey Baird the other goal on the day uh, for a resounding 10 nil victory.
2: I think that it's going to be not close. Are not competitive, I should say. The Galaxy have given up two or three goals, I think, every game so far. So I'm going to say they're going to have at least two goals. So I'm going to say that LAFC is going to win three to one.
0: All right. And with that, our pre-derby predictions and show have come to an end. We would once again like to thank everyone out there for listening to episode 91, Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all your social media platforms at lafcs 2s We really appreciate you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe those reviews definitely do go a long way in order for us reaching out to further and further communities so thank you guys for listening hopefully we see you on the other side of a well-fought and well-won derby so on behalf of myself jonathan my co-host chris and christian and of course the legend sound engineer wilson wishing you all a very happy day and of course a very happy derby weekend and with that take us home sticks this our culture from the force of a supernova stay fly in that fc door son. hey shopping down to nikki's koreatown litty keep us old mommy about to drop her in. they won't need to stop but i ain't come to my house i'll defend that bank.